the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you guys, good to see uh, new faces and old. If you don't know me, my name's Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're just going to get stuck straight in. Um, We are finishing uh, our series called Family Traits uh, this week. Um, Every September we try to do this. Uh, A three-week series is pretty abnormal for us. Uh, Normally the type of teaching we do is more called expository, so we'll just take a book of the Bible and preach our way through it. There are big section, like a Sermon on the Mount we did uh, a series in. Uh, These kind of more topical series we don't do as much, um, but we try to do one at least every September to look at who we are. Uh, What what does our church look like? How does our family operate? What are our values because of our specific context? And what are the challenges that that we come up against because of our specific context? Again, this idea that you don't go to church, you are the church, all these different things. it's great for new folks to hear this, so if you're new, here's a little taste of who we are. Um, as I've been thinking this week, though, I think it's even more important for our old schoolers uh, to, to hear these things regularly, though. Uh, that's myself included. Um, and here's the reason why, is because all of our hearts, the natural like inclination of our heart is to be consumers. Uh, to, to be, like, what, what Satan wants most for this church is, is, he doesn't care how many people are in the church, he just wants a church full of consumers, uh, full of people who, who come to church uh, to, to maybe be entertained, maybe to uh, uh, appease your conscience, um, uh, to come and, and just kind of be served. Um, that's exactly where uh, Satan would love our church to end up. Um, so we need to be reminded again of, like, what's the purpose of all of this? Why, why are all these people in this room? Um, and that's what we want to do today. Um, you'll, you'll be sick of hearing this, this value that almost, I think everyone has mentioned it that's been on the stage so far, uh, this value of church's family. Um, if you get sick of that, it's okay. Get used to it. We're not going to stop talking about it. Um, that this idea that what the scriptures reveal to us is that the church isn't an institution, uh, the church isn't an, uh, an event that you attend, the church isn't a building that you enter into, uh, the scriptures reveal to us that the church is a, is a family that you're adopted into, uh, that you're a church, the church is, is the people of God uh, that, that gather together, uh, so you and I are that church. And that church's family might kind of sound like a cool tagline, I'll slap it on like an Instagram post, like Village Belfast, church's family, come to church, it's different than the rest of the churches, I don't know. Um, I, I guarantee you it's, it, it's, it's not meant to be that. Um, what we find is it's actually an, an ancient truth. Uh, it's, a, it's a biblical truth that you see running all the way through Scripture from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the very end of, of Revelation. So God's plan really has always been to create a family, uh, to create a people uh, for himself, that, that would be his people, that would belong to him. 
uh, people that, that he would actually reveal himself to, uh, people who he would actually reveal himself through. So the rest of creation would, would know and understand who God is through this people. Um, and you see this all the way back in Genesis 1, where God creates man in his image. So male and female, he creates them in his image. And that means we're meant to be like him. We're meant to be uh, with him. We're meant to be in his presence. Uh, we're meant to, to be his sons and his daughters. Uh, we're meant to be, uh, uh, of all creation that he, that he makes, he gives humans alone this royal and priestly status. He sets us above the rest of creation. Um, and he gives us this mandate in Genesis 1 to, uh, to, to cultivate the earth, to, to make culture, to, to create and to follow in his footsteps in, in creating we're, our job is to make sure that the earth is a place of, of flourishing, that the earth, that all we do, this, this mandate is to glorify him, and we enjoy him along the way. And that's the purpose of creation, is to, is to exist for God and to glorify him. Um, that, I mean, all of creation as well, even nature. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of, uh, of God, and humans are created to, to, to lead the rest of creation in this job. Um, it's a beautiful calling, isn't it? Um, and and uh, you follow the story. You know what happens. Genesis 3 hits. Uh, Adam and Eve uh, given to temptation. They, they disobey God, uh, and sin enters the world. Um, we, we now live in what's called the curse. So the, the world is broken. Our relationship with God from then on out is broken. Uh, we're not able to just be in his presence like we're meant to be. Um, we, we, instead of being his sons and daughters, we're now estranged from him. We're enemies of, of God in a way. But what's interesting is, is God's plan doesn't change. Like his plan is still to create a family. His, his plan is still to create a people for himself. And he, 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 he chooses this one nobody called Abram, gives him a new name. You're now called Abraham. And he says, it's through you, Abraham. It's through your descendants, through your family line, that you're going to be my people. You're going to be, the, the, again, the same, what I've always wanted to do. You're going to be my people who I reveal myself to and reveal myself through. God's actually going to undo the curse of sin. He's going to restore the world to its original purpose and position through this family. Um, through, through this particular people. And you make your way through the rest of the Old Testament. It gets really, really messy, um, like really messy. And then you get into the New Testament, and Jesus comes. And, and, and it's through Jesus, who, who comes from this family line. Um, it's through the gospel, through what we just sang in that, in that song. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his son uh, to, 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 to make a way, to, to crack this family open. Uh, he's, he comes to, to that, the, the curse of sin that, that we all experience. We all experience that the world doesn't exist the way it's meant to exist. Jesus uh, restores. He breaks that curse. Um, he, 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 he accomplishes. It's through his death on the cross, through his burial, through his resurrection, the story that we call the gospel. He actually makes a way for, uh, for sinners like you and I to be restored back to our original position as sons and daughters. He makes us from being enemies of God to being back into his family, back into being representatives to, to fulfilling that original purpose like we're always meant to. Jesus defeats sin, and because he's victorious, that we are now victorious when we place our, our faith in him. Um, just amazing, isn't it? Um, he res- he, uh, he's broken the curse of sin. He's restored us back to the original pot- uh, position and purpose of Genesis 1. 
Um, and we, we also we learn that this is a, it's a, it's a, a truth that's like now and, and final, but it's also a truth that's yet to come. So everything's been accomplished. There's, Jesus accomplished everything on the cross. There's nothing else for him to do to make this, this uh, more true. Um, that you and I are, are in Christ. Uh, it says that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Um, it's, it's a now truth. But it's also a truth that's, that's still unfolding. And that's, that's still um, uh, making its way to the end. It's a, it's a still to come truth. Uh, because you see Jesus rises from the grave and he ascends to heaven. Um, he says, I'm, I'm, he tells his disciples uh, before he leaves, I'm going to come back. I, I'm going to leave this earth for now. I'm going to sit on the throne with my father, and I'm going to come back. And, and the, by doing that, he's, he's not concluding the story. This renewal story isn't finished yet. And he does that because his family's not done growing yet. And there's still work to be done. There's still lost people that he loves that he wants to bring into the family. And he, he, he leaves, but he sends us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit indwells his people. And the Holy Spirit does a lot of stuff for us, but he, he sanctifies us, so he, he makes us more like Jesus. He helps us to, to shed off our old sinful self, to die to that, and to, to live out this righteousness that we're not clothed in. But the, the Spirit also empowers us. He actually makes us bolder as we, as we go on this mission, as we, as we represent God here on earth. He makes us bold uh, in, here on a sinful world. Um, the, we are, there are still lost people uh, to be brought in, but it's important to know that that's God's job. So it's God's job to, to save people. Uh, he's the only one that can bring people from death into life. Um, but for some reason, he decides to use his people to accomplish his purposes. He uses his church to, 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 to carry out this mission. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is how we actually do that and, and why we actually do that. Uh, but we're told that when Jesus does return, he's going to bring everything to, complete, to completion. This renewal story, he's going to finish it. And Satan and sin will be done away with forever. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will, will be with him, will reign with him forever and ever on this new, in this new creation. Back to the, like, this is exactly why you were made. This is the original intention. He restores everything. And I want to give that quick explanation because of the family of God because I think it helps us understand what the church is, like what we've actually been brought into and what our purpose is here on earth, that we have a purpose and that's why we have our mission statement that we've been trying to unpack. And that's it on the screen. A mission statement that hopefully is easy to, to memorize. I think everyone in the room can memorize a sentence. So I encourage you to memorize this because it tells, it reminds you, this is who we are and this is what we do. That's what a mission statement is. This is who we are. This is what we're meant to be doing. So Village Church, uh, we desire to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. So who are we? We're a gospel-shaped community of people. We're a community. We're a family. We're, we're a people who belong to one another, who love each other, who care for one another, who encourage each other, who gather together. This beautiful picture of Acts 2 that we looked at last week. We've been made this family because of the gospel. So we're, we're, we're gospel-shaped 
in this way. The gospel is everything to us. It's the center of, of, of our identity. It's, it's, it informs all of our actions, and it's why we do what we do is because of the gospel. I'm not going to recap all that stuff. Go back and listen to those last two uh, sermons if you want to. But again, our, our mission statement, that's who we are. We're a gospel-shaped community of people, and there's a purpose. We're a gospel-shaped community of people who don't have to go to hell now. We're a gospel-shaped community of people who, uh, who are happy and clean and put together now. That would be a, those would be terrible mission statements, because, mainly because they don't contain any mission. Um, it, it, it's, we're a gospel-shaped community of people who have a purpose, who have been given a mission. We're a people who Jesus tells, go. Go, be my representatives on earth once again. Fulfill your, your original purposes. The church has a purpose. And there is a broad, overarching, um, all-encompassing purpose. And I, I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but our sole purpose as the church, as humans, is to exist for God and His glory. That's your purpose, to, to exist for God and to, and to glorify Him. That's humanity's first purpose is in, in Genesis 1. It's still our purpose today. But how we actually do that is by um, fulfilling these subsequent purposes, which we lay out in, in our mission statement. So really, you could say our mission statement like this. We desire to be a gospel-shaped community of people who fulfill our purpose by loving Jesus. We fulfill our purpose by loving each other and by loving our city of, of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. Those are, those are the three main things that you, Christian, should focus on. Loving Jesus, loving your brothers and sisters, and loving your, your neighbor, your city. And today I really want to just focus on mission because we've unpacked community. We've looked at worship before. Um, let's just look at this purpose that Jesus, he gives his disciples just before he ascends uh, into heaven in Matthew 28, and it's called the Great Commission. Um, in verse 16, it says, let's pray before we move on. I feel like we're just flying through. Um, Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for um, your purposes. We thank you for um, a perfect God, a God who is who is perfectly loving, whose, whose, whose riches of his, of his mercy and his love have no end. The most selfish thing you can do is, is to create a people for yourself to enjoy that glory, and you've done that for us, and we get to gather together in your presence to enjoy you, to be your people. We thank you for being with us, God. Uh, Spirit, we'd ask for your help. Um, Lord, speak through me, um, use my, my weak efforts uh, to glorify Jesus, to point us closer to him so we can fulfill our purposes here on earth. This is for you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's, there's some more Bibles at that desk that we keep talking about. Go and get one. I just want to give you one so... Um, so you can have a Bible. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And I don't know who the ones who doubted were. I, I want to take a guess and think it's not one of these eleven. Like, how dense can you be? 
And this is a guy who was dead and is now alive. This is a, they've, they've seen him do unbelievable things just in the last kind of 40 days, walking through walls and things like this. He's, this is the resurrected Jesus. And I'm going to guess that there's maybe others who had doubted, but they saw him and they worshipped him. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is the risen Christ. Um, this is, he was dead, he's now alive, and in his risen state, Jesus exercises his absolute authority throughout heaven and earth. His, his, his deity is fully on display here. Like, this is God. This is what a person to follow, uh, to give your life to. 19, go therefore, because of this authority that's been given to me, because you are with me as well and you're my people, this authority uh, is, I'm, 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 I'm going to empower you in this. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he says, go, be my people, represent me on earth. And I love in uh, 1 Peter 2.9, uh, Peter is, is talking, he's, he's writing to the churches um, and he gives them this statement, which is essentially a mission statement. It's a, this is who you are, this is what you do statement. And he says, he writes to them and he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who you are. That's who you are, church. A royal priesthood. You're, you're meant to represent God here on earth. You're his people. And this is what you do that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's our mission. Go make disciples, call people to commit their lives to Jesus as their master, as their Lord. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the light. That's the gospel. Proclaim that gospel. Tell people how sweet that is. What's it, what, what it's like to be once to have been in darkness, once to have been dead, and now to be alive, to be in this light that's marvelous. Go share that gospel, that good news. There's more people to be brought into this family, Jesus says. Go share this. And notice back in, 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 at that scene uh, at the Great Commission, they're on this mountain with Jesus, and they're in the risen Christ's presence. And, and they're worshiping him. I think sometimes we, we skip by, we read that and we go straight to like, go, go therefore. Like, what would that have been to be with Jesus, risen from the dead and worshiping him? The, the lamb who once was slain and is now alive, they are worshiping him. It reminds me, it's like a mini Revelation 4. In Revelation 4, John gets this glimpse of, uh, of, of the end, and he sees the lamb who was slain. He sees Jesus, and everything is, is worshiping him. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. Worthy is he to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And that's, like, that's where we're heading, and the disciples get a little taste of it. They're worshiping the lamb who was slain. I guarantee you, they didn't want to leave. That's, that's where you want to be. But Jesus says, we're not done yet. There are more people to be brought in. Go, tell the world of my mercy and my grace. Tell them what I've done for you. 
Invite them in to receive the blessing and be adopted into my family. Uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's writing, um, and he, he's, 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 I love this passage because he's explaining this, this desire to be with Jesus right now, um, but in the meantime, fulfilling our purposes. And in, in, the first, in verses 1 to 5, he describes this longing to be with Jesus, and he uses uh, the metaphor of a tent as our earthly life. It's, 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 this, it's this temporary dwelling place. No one lives forever in a tent. It's just for a, a, a moment. And he uses a, 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 a building, a, a house made by God himself as, our, as a metaphor for our earthly home. And he says that when we're in this tent, we, we groan and we long to be at our, in our earthly home. We long to be with Jesus. And that's good and that's right. And, and all of us should have that longing. And, but he also says that in the meantime, we have courage and we carry out our purpose. In verse 6, he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's his aim, is to please Jesus. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in this, in this earthly place, whether good or evil. Like he says, I want to be with Jesus. We want to be in heaven worshiping him, right? Enjoying him. That's gonna be better than what's happening right, right here and right now. But he also says, my life's not my own. Um, let's, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. Let's, let's make our aim to please Jesus rather than ourselves. Let's keep going. Let's keep fulfilling this purpose while we're here. And, and he, 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 he reminds us of something shocking, that, that one day everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That one day there will be, there will be a, a separation between the believers and the lost, between those who are part of the family those who Jesus knows, and those who are not part of the family. Which is why he continues in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We go and we persuade others. Like, there should be an urgency in our mission, shouldn't there? That we're, we're, we're told how the story ends. That one day everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our heart, so our hearts should, should have love for our lost friends, our lost neighbors and family. We, we, we persuade others. And in verse 14, he gives the motivation for going out and persuading others. Verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. What does that mean? For the love of Christ controls us. That word control, it, it, it means to, to be seized by or to be gripped it's, it's the love of Christ that, that, uh, that grips them. It's the love of Christ that, that has seized their hearts. It's the love of Christ that, that, that motivates them in this way. What is the love of Christ? How do we know Christ loves us? How did he prove that he loves us? 
Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us. He demonstrates that love. He proves his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we're back to the cross again. We're back to uh, the, the gospel. His love for us what he's, is what, he, what he's done for us on the cross. It's that love that grips us and motivates us. It controls us in that way. For the love of, of Christ controls or motivates us. It's what grips our heart. You know what another way of, uh, of phrasing this is? We're gospel-shaped people. We're, we're, we're gripped by the, by the gospel. We're gripped by his love. It's what, it's what shapes us and motivates everything we do. And he goes on to describe the gospel again. He says, um, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, for, for who, who their sake died and was raised. So the, one died for many. This is the message of the gospel, that Jesus died in the place of many. And the result of this is that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who's died for us. Verse 17, therefore, because of that, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's been given freedom, freedom from your sinful desires to, to always serve yourself and freedom to live for Jesus. Verse 18, for all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us um, through Christ, um, to, to God through Christ. And what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was, um, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He's renewing the world, not counting their trespasses against them. Isn't that amazing? Not counting his trespasses against them, although that's what they deserve. He counts the trespasses against Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, who for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Which is an amazing uh, verse in the Bible. We are ambassadors of Christ now. Again, this, is, this, is, this isn't new. This is always the purpose. And God creating man in his image to be a royal priesthood, representatives of him here on earth, to be ambassadors of him a people to whom and through whom the rest of the world would, would know who, who God is. God making his, his appeal through us. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're, you've, you've been entrusted with the gospel, this, this message of reconciliation. Notice in verse 20, he says, we, we are ambassadors of, uh, of Christ. Not, not just some of us, not just those of us who are being paid to be, all of us, our, our, our purpose is to represent him, to, to help build his kingdom, to glorify him by persuading others with the good news of the gospel, by inviting others to give their life to Jesus. I'm going to take a guess that none of that is new to 98% of you in the room. You all know that. You've heard that before. You're an ambassador of Christ. You've been entrusted with the message of the gospel. Go, therefore, 
So why is it so hard? Why, it, why is it that so many, so few of us actually attempt to do this? Why is sharing the gospel, this amazing news of Jesus, such a daunting task for many of us? And there's a couple reasons. One of them is, is easier to understand um, because we are still sinful. We still have sin in our hearts. I have pride. I, I've, I have pride in my heart. And I don't have two hearts. I have one heart. I, I have pride in my heart. And Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians that, that this message of the, of the gospel, the cross, is foolishness to the world. So the pride in my heart means that I don't want to look foolish. I want to be like you. Like, I want to be okay and, and cool, and I don't want to be foolish, so I hold back. So there's an element of just my pride in my heart that I need to deal with and I need to get over. And I, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Sam Storms. He says, obedience must matter more to you than success or your image. That's something that you're going to be working on the rest of your life. But I think there's, there's, there's also an element that we've made evangelism such a huge task to fit into our lives that we just give up on trying. Like our lives are, are just too hectic, right? We, we have all these balls we're juggling. We have work. Uh, we have family, we have, we have our social life, we have recreation, we have our church, we have our missional communities, and then I have to fit in sharing the gospel with the rest of the world into my day. I want to explain to you this morning that that's a flawed understanding of what mission is, that it's just another thing we have to fit into our lives. This quote by uh, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester wrote a book called Total Church. It's a huge influence on the way we do our church. Um, suggest you read it. They said, our conviction is that Christians are called to a dual fidelity. There's two things that we, are, uh, that we have this fidelity to. We have fidelity to the core content of the gospel accompanied by fidelity to the primary context of a believing community. To ignore or minimize either is not merely to hamstring the task of evangelism, it is effectively to deconstruct it. So I, listen, the last thing I want to do is make this more complicated than it has to be. I want to make today's message super simple. Um, So when it comes to evangelism, the core content we're sharing is the gospel. Um, It's the message of reconciliation that we're bringing the primary context that we actually do this in is our Christian community. So, so really, we're, we're equipped with two things in evangelism. We're equipped with the, the gospel word, and we're equipped with the gospel community. Uh, so the core content of the gospel. The gospel word is, is, is central in evangelism. And you may have heard the, um, the, the famous Francis of Assisi line, um, uh, go preach, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Um, I, I used to love that, that line, and I think there's some kind of truth into it of, you know, so often our, our lives don't match up with what we're saying. I, if that's what he's saying, okay. Uh, but the, this line of, if, if preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words, um, it falls short of what the Bible teaches about evangelism, really. Um, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes uh, from hearing, and hearing, from, through, and hearing through the word of Christ, 
Again, the, the, the Great Commission, he, he tells the, the, gods, the, the disciples, go make disciples, teaching them to obey uh, all the things I've commanded you. And Jesus himself, he began his, his public ministry by proclaiming the good news of God. Again, 1 Peter 2, 9 that we looked at, you're a royal priesthood that you may proclaim the gospel. So the gospel, new, the gospel is good news. It's a message to be proclaimed. It's a truth to be taught. It's a word to be spoken. It's a story to be told. The gospel word is central. But secondly, the gospel community is central to evangelism. It's the primary context that we actually do mission in. The gospel word and the gospel community are closely connected. The word creates and nourishes the community, while the community proclaims and embodies the word. That actually... Um, In John 13, Jesus actually asserts the centrality of the gospel community in the task of evangelism. Um, On his final night before he was crucified, he he gathers his his disciples, and in John 13, he gives them a new command. In John 13, 34, um, he says to his, his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we're actually to love each other, all the people in the room. We're to love each other to the same extent that Jesus loved us. That's big. Like, there are times when I, I, I see how we're doing life and, and I hear stories that I think, we're really doing great at this. Um, you guys are loving each other. We're, we're taking care of one another. And then there's other times when I think we're so far off, and it's mainly when I see how I love. Like, I get, I get frustrated with some of you. I, 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 I'm short with my brothers and sisters often. I, I sometimes give in to gossip. I often choose to, to serve myself rather than to lay down my life for my own friends. Jesus' love led him to the cross to die for his friends. I wonder what our community would look like if we loved each other to the same extent as that. To me, it's exciting um, because Jesus says when you, when you actually do this, when you love each other the way that I love you, the rest of the world is, are going to know that you are my disciples. Look at this Don Carson quote. He writes about this, the, the purpose of this mutual self-giving love. He says, the new commandment is not only the obligation of the new community to respond to God who has loved them and set them free by the offering of his son, neither is it merely their response to his gracious choice of them as his people. It is a privilege which, when rightly lived out, proclaims the the, the true God before a watching world. That is why Jesus ends his injunction with the words, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Before they are preachers, leaders, or church planters, fill in the blank, the disciples are to be lovers. That this is the test of whether or not they have known Jesus. Here's another quote from uh, Timothy and Chester. It remains the case today, this cross love, I love that. It's not like a cross community love, it's a it's a 
cross love. It's a, it's a, it's a love that, that loves to the extent that Jesus loved us. This cross love is the primary dynamic test of whether or not we have understood the gospel word and experienced its power. Not our doctrinal orthodoxy, as important as that is. Not our ingenious strategizing, as fascinating as that is. Not our commitment to preaching, as vital as that is. Not our innovative approach to planting, as radical as that may be. It is our cross-love for each other that proclaims the truth of the gospel to a watching and skeptical world. Our love for one another, to the extent that it imitates and conforms to the cross-love of Jesus, for us, is evangelistic. So the first two steps of evangelism is love Jesus and love your brothers and sisters. Give your life to each other. Lay your, your, lay your life down for each other the way that Jesus did for us. And when you do this, the world will know. You're showing the world what Jesus is like, what his love is like. Paul describes this. Uh, he's writing to the church in um, Thessalonica, Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. He describes his ministry to, to the Thessalonians. He says, so we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so very dear to us. So we love you so much that we're going to give you the gospel word, and we're also going to let you in on our lives. We're going to share our lives with you. Hear this gospel with your ears and experience the love of the, that the gospel produces in our lives. It's both that you need. And you can probably think of, of examples of evangelism where it's one or the other. Um, uh, there, there's forms of evangelism that involve sharing the gospel word without sharing the, 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 our lives. So there's uh, forms of like street evangelism or door to door, the guy on the, on the corner preaching the, preaching the good news. Um, Probably more pertinent to our situation is you can think of examples of, of sharing your life without ever having the courage to share the gospel word. And Paul shows us that we need both. This is why one of our core values is mission through community. And listen, this isn't saying, hey, you can never share the gospel on your own. You're at work on your own. You don't have that second believer with you. Can't share the gospel. No, Follow the Holy Spirit. If you have the opportunity, take it. This, this isn't a, this is the way it has to be. But we believe that, that evangelism is, is best done in the context of gospel community whose corporate life demonstrates the reality of the gospel. It's on display in the community. We found that a lot of people are, are, are more open to the, the gospel community before they're open to the gospel word. Christian community is, is a vital part of Christian mission. Mission takes place as people see our love for one another. Jesus prays this again in, in John 17 in his, in his high priestly prayer. A high priestly prayer is, is Jesus praying to the Father for his followers, present and future. So you want to know what Jesus has prayed for you? Go read John 17. He's prayed this for you. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Isn't that amazing? 
The glory that the Father has given to the Son, Jesus gives to his church. That they may be one, even as we are one. That their unity, their love for one another, their oneness, actually reflects the oneness that the Father and the Son have had forever. Isn't that incredible? I and them, and you and me, that they may be that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The world will know that Jesus is the Son of God, sent by God to be the Savior of the world through the community of believers, through their oneness, through their love for one another. It's because of our unity, it's because we love each other the way that Jesus loved us that the world will see and know who Jesus is. So we need to love Jesus. We need to love each other. We need to be communities of love. But it's also important that we need to be seen as communities of love. The the world needs to be able to see that. So the question is, what what are the opportunities for that to happen? What What are the opportunities for the world to be to, to enter into this community and, and to experience that gospel love. This, this might be one of them, Sunday gatherings, sure. Um, people can come in, they hear the gospel word, they, they gather with, with the people. Um, but really, this is, this is the reason why we structure our church around missional communities. To, to, to not only be the church gathered, but to be the church scattered, to, to, to go into the world for the world to, to see our love for one another in, in, in normal, everyday life. People need to encounter the church as a, ne- a network of relationships, as a family, rather than a meeting place or, or, or an event that you attend. The church is family. We need, we need to, to operate like a family, not just like a meeting. So mission must involve not only contact between unbelievers and and individual Christians, but between unbelievers and the Christian community. Unbelievers need to be introduced to the family, to the community of Christians, so that they can see the church in action. They'll see the unity we have. They see the self-giving love that we have for one another. This self-loving love that I think we forget is so foreign to the world. Like, little acts of, of, of being like Jesus that we think are normal, the world thinks is bizarre, normal stuff. I'm not talking about huge actions of, of self-sacrifice, although we want that as well. It's the normal love that you have for one another is the world doesn't understand that. It's, that's how, that is how they'll know. The Christian community provokes a response. Um, have you ever shared your faith with a friend and they're not, they don't seem interested? Um, I share the gospel word and it doesn't really go anywhere. So you might be wondering, what, what do I do? What's, what do I do next? Maybe I need to repackage that in a different way. Maybe I need to learn a different way to say it, a more pers- persuasive way to say it. I don't think so. I, th- I think the best way, the, the, the next step for you, to, for you to take is to invite them into the Christian community. Let them experience the, the people of God in- interacting with one another. Like if, 
Like the Holy Spirit is, is at work in people's lives. The Holy Spirit uh, takes the, um, the scales off of people, people's eyes. They, they get, he gives people the gift of faith. And the church is the home of the, of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.22 says, says that the people of God are the place where the Spirit dwells. Bring people into that. And you know what? There's real, a real beauty in making evangelism a community project. Um, have you ever felt the, the guilt or the despondency that the call of evangelism brings? I have. I'm sure most of you have as well. We have that pride in our heart. We don't want to, be f- to, 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 to look foolish. That's, that's one thing we need to deal with. But there's another element uh, to this awkwardness, to this guilt, and that's that, that some of us just aren't good at certain things. And some of us aren't, aren't great with words. Some of us are, are, are more engaging than others. Some of us are better at thinking on our feet than others. Some of us are just not that great at conversations. Small talk. That's me. <laughs> Goodness. I'm sorry if you try to have a conversation with me. But you know what? That's okay. I want you to know that. Like, that's Okay. Here's the beauty of evangelism being a community project, is that it takes seriously the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in distributing a variety of gifts to the people. Let me say that again. The beauty of evangelism as a community project is that it takes seriously the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in distributing a variety of gifts among his people. So everyone has a part to play. Uh, the, the new Christian has a part to play. The, the introvert, the extrovert, the eloquent, the stuttering, the intelligent, the awkward. Everyone has a part to play. I may be the one who has begun a relationship with my neighbor, but in introducing him to the, to the community, it might be someone else who shares the gospel with him. If evangelism is a community project... Our different gifts, our different personalities can actually complement one another, just the way God intended it to do. So some of us are good at at striking up conversations. Some of us aren't. Some of us are great at hospitality. Some of us are great at at initiating those gospel conversations. Some of you are great at, at confronting heart issues. Some of you are more discerning than others. Some of you are more sensitive than others. And this is the beauty of mission through community, is that the Lord uses each and every one of you. And if you hear anything, hear this. I think one of the major mistakes that Western Christianity has made is is making individual Christians feel like they have to master every part of evangelism. And that's not true. You, 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 uh, that you have to initiate that relationship, that you have to have the answer to every question, so you better know your Bible perfectly. Uh, you have to know the, uh, all the scriptures and, and to be able to explain the gospel in full. You have to get that person across the finish line. That's your job, all of those things. And if you've never done that, then you should feel terrible. What are you even doing? And that's not true. We've made evangelism such a daunting task that most of us don't even attempt it. Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ. 
all of us are. You have been brought from death to life, to be part of the household of God, to be part of his family, his people who represent him on earth. But you are only one member of that family. You are part of a larger community who God has gifted with a plethora of gifts. And it's when we are together, when we are loving and serving one another like Jesus serves us, each of us doing our part, each of us learning our gifting, that's when the world will see what Jesus is actually like. Listen, the order that that mission statement went, there's purpose in it. Love Jesus, love your brothers and sisters, love your city. Like you are gospel people. You are saved by grace, not by works. You, you didn't earn your salvation in the first place. You cannot earn God's favor now, even in mission. Rest in that grace. Live in that grace. Let that grace, let the love of Jesus grip your heart. Let it control you. Love Jesus first. Abide in him. That, that should be your number one priority every single day. How can I abide with Jesus today? Because Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. This mission, all this talk, talk of, of the gospel word and sharing our, our lives and sharing the gospel, it's a, impossible apart from Jesus empowering us, and, get, and, and, and we get that empowerment by staying connected with him. Loving him should be our top priority. And when you're abiding with him daily, the rest comes natural. It's, it's an overflow of that love. Of course we lay down our lives for our friends. Of course we don't uh, hold on to our stuff as mine. Of course we rather give it away and, and make sure everyone uh, is, is taken care of. Of course we want to talk about Christ's love, Christ's love for us. And then we invite the world into that community for them to see Christ's love for us, the gospel in real, tangible action. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what you've done for us, even though we did not deserve any of your love. Why you chose us, um, it's beyond me. Why you choose to use us, those who are weak, those who are uh, downtrodden, those who are tired, those who are weary, you say, that's my people. Those are the ones I'm going to use to reveal myself to the rest of the world. It's through my church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And Lord, don't let us get uh, overwhelmed by that. Help us to be with you. Help us to love you. Help us to be gospel-saturated people. And in that love, the natural overflow is for us to love one another, to invite others into that love so that you can do your job, Spirit of convincing people, of bringing people from death to life. Lord, do that more in our, in our, uh, in our midst. Help us to, be, to remain faithful to you. Help us to give our lives up uh, to our aim to please you, not ourselves. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, we love you. Uh, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.